Hey guys, real quick before we get started, we are doing a free giveaway for listeners between now and May 31st. Cash prizes, free swag, Yacht Meetup tickets, San Diego Padre tickets, and more. All you got to do to qualify is go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and drop a five-star review. Send a screenshot to giveaway at summerscapital.com and we'll be selecting lucky winners May 31st. As always, I appreciate the support. Now let's jump into the show. If you want to take down a big multiple ADU play on like a uh, nine ADUs or something like that, you got to like, you gotta have guts to do it. So although I do think it's competitive, if you don't know what you're doing, that's where you can, you know, things can go wrong because rates can go up, right? And then how do you refinance and pay your bridge loan off or your construction loan? And then you get caught, you have to sell when you don't want to sell. So it's is develop I tell people it's practical development, but you still gotta be prepared to know what you're doing. Welcome to the Rich Summers Report, where we talk real estate, business, and wealth building, all while keeping it real. No fluff, no BS. I hope that you enjoy the show. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of The Report. Today, I got one of my favorite up-and-coming real estate investors in the space. He's uh, focused right now on developing ADUs here locally in California. I got my man, Chris Luna. Chris, welcome to the show, brother. Man, first of all, it's a pleasure. Uh, you know, Thank you so much for having me. I know a lot of people have sat in this chair, the Grant Cardones, the, these big players, so it's an honor to be here. So thank you for having me. Of course, man. Dude, it's uh, it's an honor to have you here. Um, I met you through uh, some of our local meetups here. Mm-hmm. You're a really cool stand-up dude. And you're looking jacked these days, man. You've been hitting that gym hard, huh? A, a little bit. I actually, fun fact, I took the last seven days off. Did you really? But still, that that's kind of the thing with when you, you work out, right? It's like anything. Yeah. If you put in the time, you could take a little bit of time off and you still yeah. got it. Why, why are you taking seven days off? Well, I was on a mastermind with some buddies up north, a little bit of traveling, seeing the family, just disconnecting a little bit and uh, just getting charged up. Now I feel ready to go back in town, ready ready to get after it. Yeah. Um, So I got to ask you, you always rock this C hat. Is that a Cincinnati hat? That's a great question. Uh, Actually, my buddy owns Cuts Clothing. Got to get him on the show. Stephen Borelli and his company Cuts Clothing. They're huge. Uh, Direct to consumer um, shirts like this. And so that stands for Cuts. Oh, okay. But, I didn't he, know that. Yeah, he bought it. I bought it from him. Um, and people are like, they associate it with me now. I'll be yeah. at conferences. They'll be like, what, what's that stand for? I'm like, cuts. They're, oh, we thought it stood for Chris. Yeah. So now I just rock with it. It doesn't come off my head now. Yeah. I like it though. I yeah. like it. I'm a big fan of uh, cuts and then also uh, BYLT. I wear a lot of their their clothing as well. As yeah. a guy, it's like, you know, I find one or two good shirts that, that fit well. And I'm like, hey, let me get three of those in every color. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, but anyhow, dude, so tell us uh, what you're doing in the real estate space today, man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I got started when I graduated from San Diego State. I knew the market really well. I saw that there was mad demand for these rental properties close to campus. Like that's where all of us wanted to live. So I graduated uh, San Diego State. I had some buddies buying real estate in the neighborhood. And, you know, we bought our first home and we thought we were geniuses, cash flowing a couple thousand a month. I was like, wow, this is cool. But 2018 came around and we start learning about the wild, wild west of ADUs. This is like a new thing at the time. We're like, let's try and do this. Start building ADUs all around campus, um, buying anything that would hit the market that was walking distance to campus. So we'd buy them, get the plans and permits, build accessory dwelling units in the backyard, rent by the bedroom to college kids. And a bunch of cash out refinances, built the portfolio, done over 35 transactions in that zip code, the 92115. And that's how I created most of my uh, 
my portfolio and my wealth in the real estate industry. What do you What do you own today, um, overall portfolio wise? Yeah, so as of 2022, before I sold a bunch of stuff because I kind of saw these rates and the, the writing on the wall, listening to some players, I was like, okay, the portfolio value was 40 million, and I owned about 48, 49 percent of it. Um, I was going after a big deal, which we could talk about later, and that was actually one of the only deals I never closed here in San Diego. It's an $18 million property. I tried to sell a bunch of stuff, 1031 exchange into it. Interest rates went up. Couldn't raise money. It was tough. This is like September last year. Mm. So uh, let's go back a little bit, man, because uh, I know your story is a little bit unique. Um, how did you, like, I guess, before you got into the whole real estate thing, um, tell us a little bit about you know, how you grew up. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> As a kid, I was always hustling. You know, I'm buying candy bars for a dollar, selling it for a dollar twenty-five. Uh, buying soda cans, just anything to to make money. We started a lawnmower, uh, lawnmower business. Me and my brother. We had no customers, but we were we were door knocking and just just trying to make money. That was always fun to us. We had a shoe shining business, all these things as as like a youngster. Um, so I've always had the entrepreneur spirit. I've always enjoyed business and just trying to make a quarter. Right as I got older, uh, I was a dishwasher, food runner, all these like just jobs that no one wanted in college. Um, one that stood out to me was I, I used to deliver pizza. So I was the delivery pizza boy. So all these jobs. But I think that was kind of what like built that grit muscle in me and like made me hungry to, to achieve more and do more. And so those were some of my early jobs and my upbringing. What's the craziest thing you ever had someone tip you as like a pizza delivery guy? That's a great question. I just remember the number. I remember I got $70 in one shift. I was probably like 19 years old. Um, one shift or one delivery? I think it was one shift. Okay. I think probably for that portion of it, it was like a like 10 pizzas to a big company. I got like 25 bucks. And I was stoked. Mm. Like that was a lot of money back then, right? Just trying to pay for my fraternity dues and, you know, maybe some beer money. So what fraternity were you in? I was Sigma Alpha Epsilon. SAE. Okay. Yeah, SAE. Got it. Um I went to Cal State San Marcos. Okay. Um I was in Teak. Uh in at that time, at that school, there was only like SAE and Teak. So I'm f- a little bit familiar. Yeah. 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 Um, so anyway, so how did you get in? Like, what was the first real estate deal like? How did that even come to fruition? Yeah. It's 2016. Um, I had owned a cell phone repair business for 10 years total. But at this point, I was in it for four or five years. I was doing well. And I'm up in Los Angeles by UCLA trying to open another location. And it didn't end up working out. Rent was too high there. But I meet up with my buddy Kevin. He's like, yo, I heard you guys are, you know, Matt, Matt, our other buddy, Matt was buying property by San Diego State. He's like, let's buy something. I was like, all right, let's do it. So he's a lawyer. I'd be like, he'd get the loan. So when I came back down to San Diego, uh, legit, maybe a month, a couple weeks later, um, something hit the market by San Diego State. I was like, I'm going to buy this. So I called him. We did the numbers and he got the loan. We split the down payment. I used a line of credit against my business to come up with some of the money for the down payment and we bought the deal. Um, you know, remodeled it, rented it out to students. Maybe we were getting 5,000 a month. Mortgage was 2,800. We were in cash flow and I was happy. I, th- I literally thought I was a genius, but it's, it's really when the ADU plays came around a few years later that we really saw the equities and everything just explode. What, what's the biggest challenge with the uh, rent by the room model? Rent by the room? Um, specifically to student housing, our occupancy is high. I'm like 11 months and three weeks out of the year, we are leased. The problem is, is the high turnover. They either stay, students stay one or two years, um, which is fine. That's on my property manager to handle. But uh, 
we enjoy it. It works out well. The tenants could be a little more high maintenance, but did they move well. out during the summer? Um, they could, but we do we do eleven and a half month leases, and the stu- the parents co-sign. It's joint and severable, meaning every if one person doesn't pay, they're all joint and severable together. Why not um, like a full twelve month? Why come eleven and a half? July fifteenth to about August one, we need two weeks to turn over the properties, whether it's touch up paint, um, you know, doorknobs, whatever the small things that the students do. Re- tend to ruin because it's their first time living by themselves. That's probably a, a downside of student housing, but man, they always pay. And I always lease my units nine to 10 months in advance, which is amazing. Really? How do you get a, how do you get a, um, a lease up 10 months in advance? We're starting leasing right now through social media for next year. The students desire our properties so much because that's, that's one of my rules is I never compromise location. My properties are across the street from San Diego state, meaning you could, roll out of bed and be on campus in minutes. And so when you don't compromise location, you can demand the highest rent. And that's what we've done. And so ADU is coming to play 2018. Yep. You know, even today, a lot of people don't realize that it's even a thing, especially people that don't live here in San Diego and invest in real estate. Um, But it's a huge play. Um, What was, I guess, first, before we get into that, what is an ADU? Okay. An ADU is an accessory dwelling unit. And the easiest way I explain it to people is it could be a casita, or maybe a guest house. Maybe your parents had a guest house in the backyard your grandma lived in. It's just a detached unit in the backyard typically. And with the statewide ordinance, it allows you to build it by right. That's the key word, by right. And so no one can really stop you uh, unless, as long as you play within the parameters. For here in San Diego, it's 1,200 square feet, detached in the backyard, or you could do a junior ADU garage conversion. So, And typically up to how many units can can you put on a lot? Yeah, that's that's the um, that's the beauty of what I do on the single family game. We add one unit, possibly two. Sometimes I've done up to three on a property by San Diego State. So I got a little quad, which just got appraised for like three million or two point eight, something like that. Really good. On the what do you buy that one for? Uh, Nine hundred and sixty seven thousand five five zero five Mary Lane. Wow. Yeah. And um, and and how much work did you have to put into it? Capital was seven hundred k. Okay, so you're all in about one point six, and it just appraised for what? Three million. Wow. It, it might have been two point eight. I think we got an offer, a verbal offer for three million. Wow. But the appraisal was two point eight. And that's that's the the true value of the the ADU stuff here. I like doing it at the beach too, because like you said, I can build a unit for a studio, hundred K. And if I exited it a few blocks from the beach, maybe I'm getting six hundred, six twenty five. That's a huge spread. So you do that over and over again and you build wealth. Yeah. And so uh with these projects, are you typically looking to, uh, like, what's your exit? Are you typically looking to refi and keep, uh, or are you looking to sell these things for a profit? I always told myself I'd keep everything forever, right? That was yeah. like long-term wealth. And so we start selling them. The first one we sold off, a house plus an ADU. I think it was 6441 Montezuma. We sold it, 1.2. I was sad. I was like, why are we selling this? And it was the start of something crazy. The next one was 1.3, 1.4, 1.5. It kept going because multifamily guys would say, okay, I could go to North Park, pay $2 million for a property and get the same cash flow, 80K. Or I can go to San Diego State, pay 1.5, 1.6, get the same cash flow. So we start exiting at five caps around San Diego State as rental investments to anyone, a mom and pop who wanted to buy. And we 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 had some big exits. So start trading up into some Pacific Beach apartment deals. And that's how I got into the apartment game. Yeah. Um, what would you say is the biggest challenge or some of the biggest challenges around getting into a, an ADU play? Biggest challenge, uh, timing of it is important because 
um, you know, we get in the game to make cash flow and, and build wealth, but the truth is you may break even for the first eight months if the city's taking forever with plans. On that same deal I just told you about, it took nine months to get those stamp plans. That's a long time. When we were getting started, I could get stamp plans in three months, much better. So, you know, three times longer to get plans. If you don't have tenants in there, then you could be bleeding. But we just factored that into our total cost. I, on some of these deals, I'm looking for that equity multiple and building the equity uh, and then cash flow when it's stabilized. So that would be a challenge for sure. Uh, another one in the student housing game is you need to be ready. Your units need to be built by August or July or uh, winter or yeah, winter semester, so January or February. Mm. So if you miss that timeline, you kind of get caught with renters who are paying half off or something like that. Yeah. So what would you do in that case if you missed that August move in and let's say you, you rolled it out in October? Yep. What would be the ideal play there? Because you don't necessarily want to put a 12 month tenant in there. So what do you do? Yeah. Um, first of all, if we've ever missed any of those deadlines, I've had to put students in hotels for a little bit for a few weeks until they're done. Uh, this could be because the contractor was behind or the city took forever with plans and permits. So that is a thing. Uh, what I would do in this situation is potentially Airbnb it for a little bit to people coming to San Diego State. Uh, you can get some city or community college students who want to just rent for a few months also, or foreign exchange students is a nice little play also that you can sometimes get. Foreign exchange students? I haven't heard of that. What? Um, how do you market to foreign, uh, foreign exchange students? Yeah, so I have a guy and he has a Facebook page and that's just his whole business. Mm -hmm. So he'll post there. He'll say, hey, you got a property on College Avenue. This is the rent. And he essentially acts as a middleman. He'll rent it from me. It's like arbitrage. He'll rent it from me for a smaller amount because it's like a weird time, 3200 And then he'll go and lease it out and make the spread. And then he acts as the property manager. Uh, and so do you use third-party management for all your stuff? Uh, we, we used to. Um, we had a... When it was me and a few other business partners, we used to. But now we've brought it in-house for the properties I own. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And so um, do you Airbnb any of your properties? If you are a busy professional and don't have time to invest in real estate, but still want to participate in the passive income and tax benefits, my team, Summers Capital, is buying a lot of boutique hotels right now. We source the deals, we renovate the properties, and we even do all the day-to-day -day management, making it truly hands-off for investors. If you want to learn more to see if we can help you, go to summerscapital.com slash invest to book a call with our team. Again, that's summerscapital.com slash invest. Now back to the show. I don't, but I'm starting to look into it for some of the deals I have by Pacific Beach. I went into the deals thinking, love the location, right? Um, I'm going to do some ADU plays there. And what I realized is I'm making cash flow. I'm good, but I can maximize it by doing this whole Airbnb game. So definitely starting to look into that as well. Yeah. I mean, I always say, hey, there's you know an opportunity, at least in San Diego, where we manage and uh, operate short-term rentals, boutique hotels in 10 markets around the country. San Diego is one of them, and San Diego by far is like the best market that we're in. We don't have to push on these listings to keep them full. Mm -hmm. From a seasonality and like a weather perspective, we get great year-round weather here. I would say the slowest months are typically January, February. Those are most markets, okay. um, except for your like mountain towns. Um, but even January, February, like you're still cranking pretty good, and you're still keeping the occupancy high. Um, and then now with all the short-term rental regulations that came down the pipeline in May of this year. It's like, okay, well, now you're slashing the supply and you're going to keep it limited. Um, I'm very bullish on the, you know, short-term rental space here in San Diego. Mm -hmm. um, and they still have, the city still has licenses left. I heard about that. Yeah. I might have to go swoop a few before. Uh, you should. Before I mean, I, all the listeners should too. 
uh, it's an opportunity um, that's not going to be around forever. Once once they hit their cap, then uh, they're not going to be issuing anymore. So um, I know I personally just picked up a, another deal here a couple weeks back here in Lit Italy. It was like a single family historic building, okay. uh, three bed, and uh, the play is going to renovate the main house and then going to uh, build a two bedroom, one bath ADU uh, in the back. It's going to take 12 to 24 months to get that permit. I bought it with a buddy. We partnered on it, and um, the seller carried like pretty much the whole down payment, which That's is kind of cool. That's nice. And then we got like a hard money loan. They're going to finance eighty-five um, percent of all the renovation construction. Costs. Nice. So uh, excited for that. And then we'll short-term rental both sides out, but. Dude, I, I see it as a, a play here, and I'm bullish on it, and that's why I, I want to buy more hotels here in San Diego just because I know when they limit the supply of short-term rentals, it brings more demand to the uh, the hotels. Yeah, I love that. You're, you're mixing like a little bit of everything. What I heard there was creative finance to get the deal, basically, which mm-hmm. is amazing, and then you have your your niche of the boutique hotel, and then you're maximizing the Airbnb and the types of rents you can get, plus the ADU. So you're, you're like mixing everything together. I love that. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, a little bit of everything. Um and so I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll see where this San Diego kind of real estate market goes. But um, yeah, I've always been bullish on it. You know, um, from a supply standpoint, you know, you're surrounded by. They they say San Diego is kind of on an island mm-hmm. because to the north you got Camp Pendleton, mm-hmm. uh, to the west you got the Pacific Ocean, yep. to the south you got the Mexican border, mm-hmm. and then to the east you got mountain ranges, right? Yep. And so they say it's kind of an island. There's not a lot of land to build on, and so I think you know as more and more people around the country um, move out here and migrate here. Um, it's only going to push pricing up. Yep. Um, I dude, there's so many people that move to San Diego. Maybe they leave for a little bit and they always end up coming back. Mm. They're like, fuck, I didn't realize how beautiful it <laughs> is there. Is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then also, I would say, like, out of all the major markets in California, you got the Bay Area, you got Los Angeles, Orange County, San Diego. San Diego by far is the cheapest cost of living. Uh, you could argue it has the best beaches. It has the best climate out of the four. So I think it's just a matter of time before more and more people, uh, move down this way. I love it. And it's, um, you know, a lot of people hate on investing in San Diego and all Mm -hmm. these types of things, but I like that you are very vocal about the upside of San Diego because it helps, um, investors should be investing here. If they have good operators like you, like me, like they should be placing money here because values are only going to rise. Yeah. I agree, man. And you know what? Uh, it's funny because like all the people that say, oh, I'll never invest in Southern California. Uh, those people have never invested in Southern California. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm like, hey, more people say that, I'm mean, great. Keep, keep them out yeah, of here. Right? It's less competition yep, for us. That's you know? true. That's true. But um, I always it. thought it was funny. The people that say, oh, I don't invest there. They've never invested here. Yeah. You know? I say check back in and, you know, five to 10 years and we'll, yeah. we'll see. <laughs> well, and, and, and you could tell me uh, if this is true. I don't know. But I believe San Diego is like one of the only markets in the entire country to where you can buy a single family home. And depending on the square footage of the lot and the the setbacks, you could potentially build. I mean, I was looking at a deal. I was walking a deal last weekend, a single family here in Mission Hills that was like on like a two acre lot mm-hmm. and it was zoned for like 45 units. Yeah. So if you there's some stuff in North Park and Normal Heights, uh, the nine two one oh four where if you're on a multifamily lot, but it's like a single family home, uh, you can build ridiculous amounts. I was looking at this deal. I believe it was a triplex, single family home in the front, duplex in the back, big lot of land in the middle, open canvas. That's what I love. I love that in corner lots. And so we could build nine ADUs there, nine studios, maybe nine one bedrooms, three stories high. And the equity you would build on a deal like that 
would be around $2 million. It's a 24 month play takes a long time. That's the downside. But I feel like that's real real estate investing. Like you're developing the land, you're solving a problem with the housing crisis and uh, some of those units will be affordable, but all in all, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, do you think this ADU opportunity will be around forever? Or do you think they'll, they'll put a stop to it eventually? You know, what's interesting is 2018, I think it started in 2018, maybe sooner, but I, I got went, you know, I heard about it in 2018. So what, that's five years and, you know, it's starting to become more of a thing in San Diego, but I was looking into Cincinnati. It's funny you asked about yeah. the hat and, um, they just passed ADUs there two months ago in July. We just gave away the secret, but now everyone's going to know, but that's okay. Well, here's the thing though, with Cincinnati, um, you know, you're, it's still relatively about the same cost to build, maybe a little bit cheaper, but the comps in that area are not going to comp out at six, 700 bucks a square foot. And so, you know, this model only makes sense in expensive markets. Maybe not, I'm not going to say only, but it makes a lot more sense in, in expensive markets. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, Austin, Miami, these dense areas, right? Phoenix, Scottsdale. What, what I was thinking about Cincinnati, because I, I had that same thought. I was like, man, I'm going to go and build this. I think they only allow like 800 to 900 square feet. So it's not even that big of a unit. It's like a two mm-hmm. bed or a three bed. But what I thought is, okay, maybe where it makes sense is what I keep telling people in Airbnb markets where you can really maximize the rents or student housing. I wouldn't go buy just a single family home, spend all this money and time to build a two bed, one bath and rent it out for 1800 like I could just go get one bedroom at San Diego State and it produced the same amount of rent. So Airbnb, student housing, I think it could work in these um, these different markets that aren't as dense. Okay. I see what you're saying. So you're saying that you you you're saying you could go do it in Cincinnati if you're gonna, you know, be able to rent it for a specific income that makes sense from a cash flow perspective. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And there are some areas of Cincinnati, I think, you know, I have multi two multifamily deals out there. Um, that were like two of my, my early deals mm-hmm. early on. Um, and there are some expensive neighborhoods within Cincinnati um, and the rents keep going up out there. It's yeah. a lot. It's the rents are probably double, almost double what they were when I first got in there. And um, there are some areas of Cincinnati. So like uh, what's it called? Kind of downtown area over the over the Rhine is the area they okay. call it OTR. And that area of Cincinnati um, is relatively expensive. Mm. Like you're looking at, you know, if you buy a multifamily deal out there, I mean, it could be $300,000 a unit, you know, wow. which is almost San Diego numbers. Or yeah. If, you know, I was looking at a five unit out there and it was like 200 K a unit for a five unit right by Lululemon, like great location It's probably close to there. It's cool to look at different markets and start to, to scale and realize with San Diego state, I was so concerned with just like my zip code and that's cool to dominate there for five, six years. But it's really cool to have students in these different markets and start looking and learning other markets yeah. to expand. Absolutely. Um, so tell me about Backyard uh, Billionaire. This is a, a recent uh, thing that, that you're doing. Uh, tell me about what you're doing there. Yeah, absolutely. So Backyard Billionaire started with an idea to, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to have good friends and good buddies who taught me the real estate game. And, um, you know, I was so thankful. But then I thought to myself, man, I want to pay it forward. But I don't want to just teach one person with Zoom and all the technology and everything we have available to us. I was like, let's teach everybody. So, you know, Ryan Pineda has been great at, uh, you know, buddy of ours helping me scale and learning how to coach and all these different things using social media. So I said, let's go teach people across the nation how to build ADUs. 
And it's not going to be in every city, kind of like we just discussed about, but I do plan to build the biggest ADU community across the United States. And that's by um, offering group mentorships like we do. We meet twice a week on Zoom and one-on-one mentorships. Those are typically students I'm going to partner with on deals. And then we have a course. So a little bit of everything. I use social media to draw attention, show track record, and really essentially building community. Yeah. Um, I think that's the way to do it these days. If you look at all the big players um, in the space that are growing their brands, a lot of them all have a community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like Ryan's got the wealthy way. Um, Brandon Turner's got some community now. Um, Pace has got the subject too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's the way to do it. And I love that you're you're attacking the ADU stuff because it is kind of blue ocean. No one's really yeah. um, putting out a lot of content on it. Um, do you feel like the space is is competitive right now? Um, it's a good question. And when I say that, I mean here specifically in San Diego. Yeah. I think we're getting to the point where there's a lot of people see the success of it. And so more people are getting into it, but you got to have some guts to, to, to buy a home in San Diego at the prices we pay. And then to have the holding cost, um, let alone on a single family home deal, much smaller. But if you want to take down a big multiple ADU play on like a, uh, nine ADUs or something like that, you got to like, you got to have guts to do it. So although I do think it's competitive, if you don't know what you're doing, that's where you can, you know, things can go wrong because rates can go up, right? And then how do you refinance and pay your bridge loan off or your construction loan? And then you get caught, you have to sell when you don't want to sell. So it is develop. I tell people it's practical development, but you still got to be prepared to know what you're doing. Um, so yeah, it's competitive, but it's definitely doable. Yeah. Um, Andrew Greer has been on this, this podcast before, mm-hmm. and I know he's doing a lot of, um, ADU projects. Um, my two old partners, uh, Sean and Mike that I, uh, used to buy multifamily with They're they're buying ADU stuff right now. And they're kind of going all in on the ADU play okay. uh, currently. Um, and then I, I always see, you know, folks that come out to our meetup, you know, they're doing it to a, a certain extent as well. Um, I think it's, it's definitely compelling and it, it, it makes, you know, investing in today's climate, uh, something that is achievable because I always say right now in this high interest rate environment, um, pricing is softening in a lot of markets, a lot of different asset classes. Mm -hmm. It's hard to argue that, um, we don't know when the fed is going to, you know, what they're going to do with the rates. Um, but for me to buy right now, I always say, Hey, I need two things. One, I need to be able to buy at a discount and two, I need to be able to add tremendous value. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is because, you know, back in 2000, 2015, 17, 18, you could buy the turnkey stuff. And, you know, even if you're, you're, you're breaking even with your, the income that's coming in, the rent, you're being able to pay all your expenses and you're breaking even, you're not making any cash flow. At least you could ride that natural appreciation, right? Yep. And you still build equity, you still build appreciation. But in today's climate with the softening uh, pricing, well, it's like you, you buy the turnkey stuff right now. Uh, you're going to be underwater a year from now, yep. six months from now, 18 months from now. And so um, I always say, hey, you know, I need to be able to buy at a discount, but to add tremendous value. And I think mm-hmm. with the ADU play right here, you're able to basically s- solve that second uh, part of the equation and you can add tremendous value. Uh, you can, you know, like you said, you bought that property for 1.3 or whatever, 900 and put 700 in. You're all yep. at 1.6 and it appraised for how much? 2.8. Yeah. And so, you know, that's an example of, hey, being able to add tremendous value. So I think it solves that part of the equation. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's spot on. And, you know, we at also at the core of it, we are solving a housing crisis, right? We're, we're providing more opportunities for people to rent. Some of my units are affordable on that deal. We just talked about the the one that um, 
appraised for 2.8, one of the units is affordable. So we're also helping people in that sense who can't maybe afford a typical home, afford something that works for them in a good neighborhood they want to be in. So it checks all the boxes and um, yeah, going to keep at it. Yeah. Um, Location wise, like what should one be looking for in terms of uh, like, what are some things they want to look for when buying uh, an ADU project? Maybe not so much for location, Mm -hmm. but maybe from in terms of the lot in the neighborhood, that sort of thing. Yeah. So I like for me, what's worked for me, uh, 6,000 square foot lots are great or bigger. Um, Location wise, is it close to a Starbucks, a Whole Foods, these types of things? I I really want to like get excited about the property. Like if I'm pulling up to the property at night and there's no lights and it's dark and it's just not a good location. You know, I I like to drive the properties at all times of the day and just get a vibe for the community. Um, so I'm always looking for that. Like what's the general feeling of the property is super important to me. Uh, one thing I'll always be looking for is, is it on a corner lot? If it's on a corner lot, you can have a property here and then on here. And then in that case, you have two different access points. So that's a nice little tip. Another tip would be, does it have alleyway access today? Me and one of my students were looking at a deal he's going after through creative finance in Dallas, hundred thousand dollar property, but it's on an alleyway on a big rectangular lot. So you could build the ADU on the backside of it, put a fence in the middle, and now you have two access points. So these types of little things you learn over the years, you learn to stay away from SDG and power lines because that can cause projects to be delayed if you're too close to the higher low voltage. All these little tips you pick up and um, you learn as you go. What determines, uh, like out here in San Diego, what determines how many units you can build on that lot? Typically, it's the floor area ratio. What is that? So floor area ratio would be um, whatever the existing lot size is, there's a multiplier effect on whatever size the lot is, and that determines how many units you can build. So sometimes you'll see floor, floor area ratio of 1.7 or 6. I typically, I don't know too much about that stuff. I hand it out, and this is what I tell my students too. It's You do want to know this stuff, but really you want to find the architect who knows that. And you put it on them to say, hey, what can I build here? And from there, I'll go and look at my options, run my numbers, run the rental comps, and then identify if it's cash cash flow or not. Do you like to go to like a third-party independent architect or do you like to use some of these companies like um, ADU Geeks that kind of do it all for you? I've used them once. I'm currently using them. um, And no problem with them. They they communicate very well. Uh, In my early days by San Diego State, I used one person who was really good at what she did. And she still, I still use her for multiple deals. And it's just, when you have one person like that, that's her job. She's working for a paycheck. She just gets the job done. So that's been very good for us. Um, I think I'll continue to use her because it's just quick and streamlined. She knows what I'm looking for. Okay. That's what I tell my students too. You want to be on a text basis with your architect. Like, hey, uh, what can I build here? I ask her, she goes and looks it up. She's like, uh, you can probably do this. I'm like, great. Then I go into my calculator and I run the cash flow analysis. Yeah. I've had... Uh, one architect that was the slowest architect I've ever, uh, that probably exists. Uh, it took, I want to say more than 24, about 24 months to get permits on a, uh, ADU in, in a property I have here in San Diego. Wow. Um, and right now it's like the busy season. We operate this property as a short term rental. So I'm like, let's, let's wait till January and then we'll, we'll do that build out January, February where it's slow. Um, but finally got the permit. How long are those permits good for? Is it about 12 months? Good question. For me, I'm always like, get the permits, start. So yeah. I've never like had to wait. Um, I could see it taking, you know, expiring within about a year. Sounds about yeah, right. Sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, and then now with this latest project, we're going to use ADU geeks and just kind of streamline it. So, 
uh, excited to kind of compare both, but I'm, I'm sure that it's, uh, it's not hard to beat the last guy that I had. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Always looking for good architects in my program. That's what we tell people. Identify an architect like right away. How do you find the best architect? Good question. I would, what I just told my student up in Santa Barbara, I said he knew someone at the county. I said, go and talk to them and ask the county guy, your friend, who, which architects are coming in and presenting ADU plans and who's getting stuff stamped. And then from there, reach out to them, cold email, cold call. They're looking for your business. They want to earn your business and say, you know, show us what you've done and then go and drive those projects and see what's been built. Yeah. I think that's a good, that's a good idea there. Um, finding the, the right contractor is big too. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the ADUs, um, can most contractors build the ADUs as well? Yeah. 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 I have, um, multiple contractors who, uh, built these, you know, if you drive around San Diego state, you're going to see the same big old rectangular box for them. You know, they're charging. I've paid it when we started, maybe 200 K to build these 1200 square feet. Now it's up to 225, 235, depending on if you're doing solar and landscape. And another thing is when you're building a unit in the backyard, you sometimes people forget about the plumbing. You got to connect it. It's a lot of digging and it's got to drop one fourth inch along the way. So uh, just having contractors bid it out. I tell my students, get three bids and do it early on. Like once you submit to the city and you know what more or less you're going to build, start working with your contractors to identify because the last thing you want to do is you're ready to build. You're excited. You're trying to hit your timeline and then you just sign a bid so you can start, right? Whereas if you planned ahead, you're going to get the best bid, the best price, and you're not going to be rushed and forced into a bid that you didn't want to sign. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, in regards to lending, how are how are you financing a lot of these ADU projects? Because I know, you know, on the purchase, it's one type of financing. And let's say, depending on how long the permits take, you know, in my case, that one took 24 months, right? Mm-hmm. And so what is the best way to finance an ADU build out once you finally get the permits? Yeah. When I, early on, when we were getting great traditional Fannie and Freddie debt, you know, four and a half, four and a quarter, even 5% back then didn't seem like a big deal. We'd put 20, 25% down. And what we do is um, the mortgage would be much lower, mm-hmm. right? And we would just go get a second trustee on the property for 200K, get that wire from a hard money lender, 9% interest, build it out in three to four months, refinance out of it, cash out, pay him back and put the new permanent debt on it. Yeah. That's, um, I think that's always the way to go. If you can get that. Um, I know with my, my Linda Vista property up there, um, I did do the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then going to use that money to, to do the build out. Would you say uh, most of these lenders, at least in, in the good, when the conditions were good, they yeah. would they would finance 100% of the build out? Uh, yeah, they, they would because they would, how my hard money lender, Luke, would see it is if I defaulted on the loan, he just gets a really cool property with plans and permits and something half built or something like that. So uh, in that case, yes, I would see people f- finance 100% of it. We typically pay for the plans and permits anywhere from twenty five to 30000 out of pocket. And that's kind of cool because you do it over time. It's like... Architect fees, 3000 survey, plan check fees, developer fees, school fees. And this is over a span of whatever, four or five months. And we just fund that out of pocket from the cash flow of the property if it's making any money. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you do some, uh, you're in Robert Martinez's mastermind as well as a, a few other. I know yeah. Ryan's, you're in Ryan's. Um, I'm at, I was actually just talking with Robert uh, earlier today. Oh, nice. Trying to get him on the podcast. He's got it. You know, he, he had that, that article drop a few days ago. Saw that. Um, f- foreclosing on like a $54 million deal, um, yeah. floating rate. Uh, so I'm curious, like what is going on there? Do you know the backstory there? I don't know the backstory. I do know he's been very, very 
you know, transparent with his investors on mm. whatever's going on there. Um, yeah, floating rate debt. It's not just him. It's everywhere. And Grant warned us because I'm in Grant's real estate club also. Um, and he's warned us about this for over a year now. You know, Tides Equities, a lot of these people who got the floating rate debt, it's just the rents haven't kept up with where the debt is. And I know he, he just like the article said, he went to them hat in hand to try and figure it out. And I think the lenders maybe being a little predatory and just, I mean, they, trying to take the property. But I believe in Robert. I believe in he'll find in a way out of this, whether that means selling off another property, recapitalizing. I think he'll figure out how to get that loan paid back. That's yeah. my guess. I don't know what's going to happen though. I'm yeah. staying tuned just like the rest of us. I know. I saw the article drop. I'm like, dude, I got to get him on the show and, and talk about it. Um, yeah. Because like you said, like I think in the lending environment right now, you know, a lot of apartment investors got into the floating rate debt, especially mm -hmm. in 21 and even early 22 before the rates went up. And um, no one anticipated the rates going up this high. Um, and so then it's like, okay, you either work out a deal with your lender. Are you going to have to do a, a refinance into some permanent debt? Yeah. Um, we had a couple deals that we bought in North Carolina that we had floating rate debt on. Luckily, we added enough value. Mm. And we increased the NOI enough to where we yeah. could uh, refinance into perm debt. One deal, it was just rate and term, but we didn't have to bring any cash to the table. And then the other one, uh, we were actually do, able to do a cash out and, and refinance into some perm debt. Um, but a lot of other deals, people are going to have to uh, bring cash to the table to refinance into the perm debt. Uh, or work out a deal with the lender. And if not, that's a tough situation, right? I was in the same situation. I had a five unit in Pacific Beach, great deal, um, three blocks from the beach. And I had to, you call it a cap, capital call, right? Cash call. But luckily I was well capitalized enough that I just funded it. And so I didn't go to my investors and say, hey, you know, cash call. I just funded whatever it was. We were able to refinance. And if we ever sell someday, I'll get that money back and I'll capitalize it. I think that's what good operators do. Uh, of course, I could have, from a standpoint of what the our agreement said, we should have all came in with that money. And so if you're able to stroke the check, I think Grant Cardone, same, same thing. Sometimes you got to stroke the check for your investors and you get that money back someday. But that's what good operators do, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, a lot of people hate on Grant, but I'm like, you know, because he has so many other businesses and streams of income, yeah. it's like when he gets in a position like this, hey, maybe he doesn't have to go do a capital call. He can just fund it with his own he's stuff. He's the bank. You know, yeah, which is he, cool. He's his own bank. And that's inspiration for us. That's why I was like, okay, I should take this coaching thing more serious. And I should take this social media serious. Like the like you were talking about it earlier, just getting attention. It's mm -hmm. crazy. I'll hop on calls with people and it'll be like to see if they want to be part of our community. And then it's like, yo, I got 400K, but I really don't want to be a student like, can I just invest with you? Mm -hmm. So now I'm like raising money because of social media. Yeah. Dude, social media is such a big thing, man. <laughs> it's crazy. So I want to hear this story though uh, about you said you did a 1031 into a deal. Yeah. And it was a, a larger deal and you weren't able to to complete the raise. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. So this this deal changed my life. You know, I, I had been doing really well up until this point. I had just closed 10 million in apartment deals July 2022. I thought I was like on top of the world. I finally broke into the apartment game. Side note, this whole time I thought I wanted multifamily and I was going to lean into it. Everyone's doing it. It wasn't until I realized in showcasing like the whole ADU thing that I was like, I need to lean into this ADU thing. And you gave me that idea because Blue Ocean, but that's a side mm -hmm. note. Anyways, multifamily deal, $18 million, 39 unit hits in PB. There's big players going after this. These guys have billions assets under management. Big guys locally here in San Diego. 10 offers, I somehow get the deal. I get awarded the deal. Um, you know, use 
used my know-how uh, and I got the deal. And so it was a longer escrow and um, I started selling off some properties to 1031 Exchange into it. I had, the raise was about $5 million. And um, I didn't end up closing the deal because two things. Interest rates went up three times during September, October, and November. Investors were scared to put money into this deal, and I just didn't close. Had a forfeited an EMD, um, 500K EMD. You had a forfeit it? Had a forfeit it, but... Um, I'm sitting at a, a mastermind. So this is November. November 15th was just like the worst day ever for me. And this is before social media and everything. I said, I'm not going to let this happen to someone else. I'm going to start doing social media. So that was the inflection point in my life where I was like, I thought I was untouchable. I thought I was the man. And then boom, I just got served. So I was really bummed, started using social media, talking about it a little bit, helped me kind of vent, not vent, but uh, just get it out and, and let go of it. So then January comes around, I'm at Robert Martinez's mastermind, and he says one thing. And I was like, oh, I should try that. I call the seller. I, I leave the room. We're in Houston. I leave the room. I call him. I go, hey, you know, going through a tough time. Like, would you guys, is there any way you'll give me half of the deposit back? He was like, if you sign this paperwork and you promise not to do this and you just let it go, like, we'll be good. They gave me half of it back. Wow. I could stomach losing 250. Yeah. I can't stomach losing half a million. That, wow. that was rough. That was my money, not my investors. That was my and cash. And this was, this was after the deal was pretty much done. You already forfeited the money or this is like kind of while it was unraveling. Yeah, it, it was done. I already talked to multiple lawyers, big shot lawyers. They're like, you're not getting that money back. It's because they, they, their lawyer had me sign something. And you know, I'm really fortunate that they... They saw where I was coming from. I came to them hat in hand. I was like, man, this put me in a tough spot. And uh, it's all, you can't ever connect the dots looking uh, forward, but looking back on it, like everything happens for a reason. That put me into the social media game, which I know is changing the entire trajectory of everything I'm doing. So thankful it happened. I don't want that to happen to anyone else. Yeah. Now I'm here. That's a, that's now a I'm lesson. sitting with you. Yeah. Then <laughs> that's a lesson for the taking. Yeah. Well, dude, I appreciate you coming on, man. I'm a big fan of, you know, everything you're doing here locally. And um, I love that you're going after the ADU stuff and growing the brand and, and leaning into it. Like I said, it's Blue Ocean. And um, I'm stoked to see where you go next, man. Awesome, man. Again, thank you for having me. Super uh, blessed to be here. And keep, keep putting San Diego, the investment scene on the map. It's super inspirational. And uh, let's keep crushing it. I appreciate you, man. Listeners, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you in the next one. Peace. Peace.